This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Friday, July 1st, 2011. I'm Caleb Brown. The decentralization and creative destruction that has touched nearly every part of our lives has only recently began to touch the world of politics. Matt Welch is editor of Reason Magazine and co-author of the new book, The Declaration of Independence. We spoke before a forum for the book held yesterday. I think it's a little bit less of a statement about libertarianism. We're not providing a voter guide or trying to necessarily sketch out the definitions of it. I mean, it, it is called the Declaration of Independence with a TS uh, for a reason and that we're very interested in the rise of political independence as a block and then uh, that's with the TS and then with a CE as a kind of strategy for improving public policy. We want to improve public policy in a direction that is identified as libertarian, um, but I think that we wrote it in a way to appeal to especially all independents or people who feel like they're dissatisfied with the current system, with the current uh, political parties in particular, and also with public policy. And then I think we talked a bit about strategic dynamics that uh, people might take, and they might you know, use some of the insights there to... Uh, try to uh, get policies that we might disagree with, you know. Uh, but um, our view, and it's pretty uh, consistent with reasons, uh, DNA, and history, is that we try to be an outreach, in quotes, uh, organization. Um, we're not trying to be the ones who police who gets to be called a libertarian or defines it even really. So, um, you know, the subhead is how libertarian politics can fix what's wrong with America. Um, that is mostly applied in fields like uh, education, Medicare, entitlement spending, uh, and a few other areas, uh, defense spending, um, and broader economic policy, where we do have an acute crisis on our hands right now. And we argue uh, without, you know, insisting that everybody agrees with us, uh, surely, um, that uh, these kind of libertarian notions, these impulses, maybe more than uh, exact set of policy prescriptions, uh, hold the kind of key to get us out of our current predicament. You talk about duopoly a lot. That is the uh, stasis of the Democrat and Republican parties and how politicians are terrified of people who don't identify uh, uh, that way. How is that going to actually help bring about some changes? There? Well, it's already uh, changing things now. Uh, I mean, the Tea Party phenomenon, uh, regardless of what one thinks of it, let's just uh, think about it as a, uh, as a strategic existence, um, uh, is something that retains its potency precisely because it has not been 100% Republicanoid. It's definitely right of center, but they have focused their energies and their message discipline to spending, to the size and scope of government, to rolling back Obamacare. I mean, if you look at the Tea Party's contract from America that came out late last year, as opposed to whatever nonsense John Boehner cobbled together uh, in uh, whatever his contract, they had basically 10 declarative sentences, and they all boiled down to, to you know, it's the spending, it's the Constitution. Um, so, uh, you know, what, what we're talking about is that as more people are becoming independent, this is a long-term trend since 1970, but specifically the last 10 years, uh, when you have both parties 
governing in a way that is not just against the grain of uh, the American public writ large, but against their own core constituencies. You know, Republicans were supposed to be the party of limited government, and they absolutely were not, as we all know, under George W. Bush. Uh, Democrats were supposed to be more anti-war, more pro-civil liberties. They a- absolutely have not been under Barack Obama. And, you know, we live in a time where everyone is, all brands are shrinking. Everyone is a much more hyphenated individual. They don't have simple loyalty to Chevrolet or to Pepsi or whatever. So that makes sense. And it's very interesting that it's happening now, um, this growth of independence as compared to the early 90s when there was a similar little spike, but it was uh, short-lived partly because it was all centered around Ross Perot. It was a top-down phenomenon with the guy with the ears and the charts and, and whatnot. Uh, this right now is the exact opposite. It is completely grassroots uh, up. So, yes, politicians are completely terrified. I mean, the the Tea Party made, I think, uh, some of its greatest moves when it said, hey, we will nominate or we will back a crazy person for Congress or for some uh, office, knowing that the crazy person will probably lose. But if that person uh, embraces the few values that we're really, really concerned about right now, we will take that over some milk toast, Olympia Snow, whoever. Um, so, uh, that right there uh, shows the Republicans that you can't count on that vote. Um, Democrats learned that they could count on the anti-war kind of Howard Dean-esque vote, which is kind of an analog to the Tea Party movement. You know, they but Howard Dean was bought off as the chairman of the party, and and everyone went to the quote-unquote anti-war candidate uh, Barack Obama. And as a result, in 2011, the anti-war left doesn't exist. I think the Tea Party has learned from that uh, uh, mistake, and the left I think will learn from that when it comes to issues that traditionally many liberals and progressive have held dear, uh, war, civil liberties, you know, uh, vis-a-vis like Guantanamo Bay, and especially the drug war. I think that's going to be the next frontier of disaffected Americans saying we're not going to believe in our politicians anymore. We're going to create our own reality from the outside looking in. John Samples likes to say here that the effectiveness of a movement, uh, in Washington at least, can be measured in some way by how effectively they turn that movement into institutions uh, here with such a diverse group of people uh, that are terrifying uh, politicians. How does that happen? It's a good question. I mean, and and it makes me wonder whether uh, John, who uh, we all have a lot of great respect for, is operating on a a more of a 20th century model. I mean, institutions arise in Washington, and then eventually they have to figure out their relationship with the power structure and whether they are part of it or uh, against it. And it's a difficult thing to watch. And we've seen, uh, you know, plenty of institutions that were supposed to have a a set of of principled politics get completely corrupted by uh, power here. Everything, the broad sweep of of modern life in the West, not just the West, the East, anywhere, um, is that power is devolving from the center to the individual. Um, There has been, and we talk about this a lot in the book, since 1970, since 1990, draw whatever your your time period you want. it's incredible how many people have lifted out of poverty, have been able to control the means of their own production, uh, just the whole internet revolution and how that's allowed people to experiment and play and create new identities. Everything is is devolving to the individual. So uh, I, I don't necessarily think that the future belongs to institutions. I, I think it belongs more maybe to 
um, ideas. And I mean, the Tea Party is, in, in a sense, an institution. It's an anti-institutional institution, if, if we can get weird about it, um, because it's an idea that is that people are are swarming and flocking to rather than, you know, a building that you can hang a, a shingle on and do fundraising for. And the idea ultimately is pretty strong. Uh, you know, you see something similar with things like uh, motorcycle helmet laws, uh, which uh, which people have been able to resist in this country a lot stronger than, say, seatbelt laws. And that's not necessarily because there's a single institution that could fight that, but because motorcycle riders themselves found ways to kind of swarm against the idea and attack a very single singular thing. So I think the future lies less in buildings with a nice address in Washington, D.C., and more with attractive ideas and using the technologies that we've learned and that have revolutionized everything else about our lives to kind of uh, spontaneously allow people to swarm and and knock on not just the side door, but the front door for freedom. Something that I think really speaks to a lot of the, the points that you make uh, in your book is uh well, since the Citizens United decision was announced and following on that speech now, the growth of independent groups that are able to speak about politics in precisely the way you're talking about, a focused way on very uh, specific things. Do you have any thoughts about how that will pan out? Well, I'm certainly gratified that this Supreme Court has proven to be as good on free speech as about any that we can remember. Uh, you know, it's getting to the point where uh, Clarence Thomas, who has a pretty decent First Amendment record, is is now falling behind the uh, John Roberts's uh, jurisprudence on various First Amendment cases. And, uh, you know, it looks like we're coming back from the ledge of regulating political speech. It's going to take a lot of undoing uh, to, to get there. Um, but yeah, that allows for independent groups to arise much more. And I, I've argued this uh, with so many friends of mine uh, on the left, you know, that corporations are, are not just, you know, Monsanto and, and Archer Daniels Midland. You know, corporations are nonprofits. They're a reason magazine. We're a corporation, right? So, um, and those are the people who now are more free to speak about politics than they were before. Uh, and just in general, people don't have to file as much uh, crazy paperwork, uh, hopefully. That's all to the good. I mean, we should be able to affect things on a single issue-by-issue basis in this country, particularly when there are, you know, such strong uh, centers of kind of rot or dysfunction uh, that are heavily uh, government-based and which neither party has any real intention of trying to fix. So uh, that puts the onus on us to figure out how to deal with it. And you're seeing it. I mean, K-12 through education, which is an incredible money suck. We're spending two and a half times as much as we did in 1970 on it per pupil, adjusted for inflation, and test scores are totally flat. So, you know, Democrats and Republicans are useless on this. However, individuals are like, okay, let's do homeschools, let's do charter schools, let's do online education. They have created these workarounds, the system, and now that is creating pressure and, and, and kind of pathways and organizations to start demanding it in the front door. So um, I think, again, that's where the future is going to be. And it's an exciting time uh, and, you know, also worrying time to be alive because we are really on the verge of a, of a uh, almost unprecedented fiscal catastrophe uh, at this exact moment. So we're trying to speed up the process with this book and and say, hey, look, we need more radical solutions. And here is the pathways that people are learning about and experimenting with to try to change things for the better. Top down versus bottom up. Uh, how do you see the relationship between states and the federal government changing uh, in advance of 
what you're talking about? Don't know. I mean, it's a, it's a pretty good question. Everything has been trending in the wrong direction on that for so long that it's going to take a great undoing. But I think the, uh, the revolt against um, Obamacare uh, in general might be the seeds of something, because we see a lot of states or states' attorney generals, um, attorneys general, uh, uh, fighting against this and, and talking much more about things like block grants uh, to the state to try to experiment with things. So maybe it's going to go in that direction. I, uh, you know, hopefully in 2012, we're going to see one state uh, in the West um, uh, vote for full legalization of marijuana, for example, and that will put a state in open, uh, you know, defiance of the federal government. So that might precipitate some kind of clash, but I'm less bullish on that. Uh, on just general uh, federalism than I am about other types of just kind of individual-based change. Uh, the, the mechanics of it are all screwed up, and we can blame everyone from Reagan on for that. Uh, and it's going to take a, a, a while, uh, undoing, to uh, to get rid of that. What are some specific policy prescriptions that you, that you lay out to sort of speed along this destabilizing of uh, <laughs> the traditional party structures? Uh, you know... Uh, more policy than uh, than uh, than politics, but for, on K through 12, we simply just talk about backpack funding, right? Put the money. If you're going to spend the same amount of money, uh, let's take that as a given to begin with. I mean, we can talk. We'll revisit the subject later. But if we're going to keep throwing this money down the hole, um, instead, let's have it go in the backpack of the student, and the student chooses the school, and you just kind of go from there. We're already seeing that happen in New Orleans specifically, and more in Louisiana. Uh, for a while, we were seeing that in Harlem. Now it's being challenged. But in those places, you know, parent uh, uh, and student satisfaction are, are off the rails. They're really growing. And we're starting to see better test scores come about of that. It's a very kind of simple notion, which is spreading out there. And it, and it comes, again, from the basic libertarian impulse more than the exact, you know, here's your 12-point program, which is how can we turn, you know, the recipients of government uh, for lack of a better word, into consumers, where they can control and the spending decisions rather than have the spending decisions inflicted on them. When you do that, that builds pricing into it. So, you know, in in healthcare, uh, as uh, a lot of people in Cato and elsewhere have talked about, in, put pricing somewhere. Allow an individual to shop around for something here, so that we have some signal of uh, and some cost awareness uh, out there. Um, you know, uh, my we don't get into the weeds of it too much, but I would uh, you know definitely break the link between employment and health insurance, which doesn't make any sense, and it creates a third-party, crazy-tiered system. Um, but just devolve things towards the individual so that they can direct those purchasing products. And, uh, Social Security, too. You know, Allow people the ability to opt out and direct their money where it wants to go. Um, and that will be, that has to be, the mechanics of reform on these very, very entrenched things. Matt Welch is editor of Reason Magazine and co-author of The Declaration of Independence. You can watch the full book forum at Cato.org.